0: It is a wonderful time to get together to worship God in spirit and truth. Amen. Amen. You know, I I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm a little sore today. Yesterday, 62, 63 degrees, you know, getting some yard work done. And I was, uh, you know, Matt invited me to go with some of the teens yesterday and Matt and um, Barb and Tom and Tyler and Ashley did a wonderful job with the Progressive Teen Meal. But I was driving home and I, I stopped at a light, I had to get a couple of Motrin's out of my little pool, my little pillbox. You know you're getting older when you got a little pill box in your pocket now? <laughs> I had to pop a couple of Motrins. I was like, man, why is my back killing me? I was like, oh, we did some yard work and we were putting up some Christmas lights and going up and down the ladder. I said, I need to start exercise, I'm getting old. But it was a beautiful day, was it not? Beautiful day, and so I'm just happy to see everybody here today as we come together to worship God in spirit and truth. Today we're going to take a stroll down memory lane. We're going to take a stroll down memory lane and we're going to be talking about the promise and the prophecies of Jesus, right? I mean, is it not the Christmas season? And so, you know, over the years I've evolved on how my mind thinks about how I should preach and how I should teach when it comes to the holiday season. And I felt early on when I, early on in my ministry that I had, to, I had to preach against these things, you know what I mean? And maybe we can't talk about certain things because we don't want to look like somebody else and maybe some, another, uh, another denomination who's maybe uh, you know, trying to edify or glorify something, a pagan holiday, if you will. But then I thought to myself, you know, there's two times of year when people are willing to talk about Jesus, and well, not just Jesus, but also what? Faith matters in general. And so, you know, it's amazing how you, as you grow and mature in your faith, how your thoughts evolve over time. And so we got to take, we got to take, uh, uh, we have to take this opportunity, right, to be able to make sure that we uh, reflect upon the season. Uh, what the season means to a lot of people, uh, even though we know that it's a man-made holiday, but we have to look at it in the stance that, uh, there's people who are willing to talk about Jesus right now. And is that a bad thing in and of itself? And so use it as an opportunity to plant a seed. Use it as an opportunity to do what? To talk to your friends and family, have these conversations, and I'm going to give you some uh, give you some uh, f- uh, food here this morning, spiritual food that you could share with them this holiday season. You know, when we think about us as individuals, as a mankind, we make lots of promises, right? And 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 in really at the heart of it, we try our best. I mean, we try to really strive to keep our promises. At least most people do, right? And yet. You think about those promises, right? You kind of think about Pat's list of things that have been left undone. And and there could be a various, you know, many reasons why we leave things sometimes undone. Well, it's the same thing with promises, is it not? Well, you know, I I planned, I I really heartfelt planned on, uh, you know, fulfilling this promise, but circumstances get in the way. You know, I really wanted to fulfill my promise, but, you know, sometimes my own weakness gets in the way. I really wanted to fulfill my promise, but, well, sometimes other people's involvement has changed things now, and so then it goes by the wayside. And so, brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning that that thank goodness that we serve a God that does not have the problem that mankind has. Yeah. For God keeps his promises today, tomorrow, uh, today, uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can know that we can trust in the Lord. We can trust that he is holy and he is right, righteous and that he cannot violate his nature. And that he always keeps his promises. It makes me think of a first passage of scripture on the screen behind me. And when we get to this first passage in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56, brethren, it says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he has promised not one word has failed of all of his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses you think about this simple verse and in this morning I want us to look closer at God's promises to mankind I want to look pr- closer at the promise and the prophecy to give a, a mankind a Messiah and that that would be a blessing to all of his creation. For mankind's disobedience in the Garden of Eden has caused us to do what? It caused us to be driven out of that wonderful place. And as we were driven out of that wonderful place as as his creation, we were no longer able to to partake of the privileges of being in a paradise type situation with God. And so as we were driven out, God didn't just forsake his uh, creation, did he? No, he gave a promise. And we start to see and understand the promise in Genesis chapter three, and uh, verse around verse fifteen, when he was when he was per, uh, pronouncing punishments on Adam and on Eve and on Satan. We also know that he adds in a great promise. And so, brethren, we have a great promise amid the punishment for our sinful disobedience as, as mankind. And God promised that a descendant of Mother Eve would come and do what? She would come and, or He would come and provide the means from freeing mankind from the eternal consequences of our sin. We start to learn about this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But then, centuries go by, and as uh, centuries go by, later there's another promise, there's another covenant that God had entered into with Abraham. And we start to learn about this in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 22, that God told Abraham that one of his descendants would become a blessing to all mankind. This morning, we're going to be flipping through our Bibles a little bit more. And I'm not going to be able to have every passage on the screen behind me because some of the passages are too long. So get your Bibles out. If you have a Bible app on your phone and you prefer to use that, that's fine too. But the first one we're going to look at is in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18. I'll give you a second to turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18. We need to take a look at some of these, brethren, because the New Testament writers inform us that the descendant that was going to be a blessing to all mankind is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And we learn about this in Galatians. But I want us to talk about the prophecies as well as the promises of God, because we're going to see how there's prophecy, there's fulfillment, there's promise, there's fulfillment. And so as you get to Galatians chapter 3, notice what it says starting in verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it is a man's covenant and it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or looks to add additional conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say and to his seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, he tells us. The Apostle Paul to the people of Galatia. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify that promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God had granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. You see, brethren, we understand that when you think about all that God had promised and all that was prophesied, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that had been given to Abraham 430 years before the law ever came to Moses on Mount Sinai. Amen? And so, brethren, God's promises are true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We never have to worry if God is going to keep his promise. As I showed you a moment ago in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, it says that God had fulfilled all that he had promised, and not one of his words had failed. And so, brethren, as we continue to look at this this morning, mankind, we don't have to worry if God is going to keep his word. Now I want us to consider what the prophets had foretold regarding Jesus' coming. Because as we think about this, like again, the reason why I felt necessary to kind of walk down memory lane this morning is because who here is going to probably be attending some family, uh, family Christmas parties, right? Anybody going to go to maybe a work party, a friend's party, a friend-miss, I think they call it nowadays, right? Or they're going to be going to a family party, and I want you to have... I want you to have some uh, some food for thought that you could share with individuals. I want you to have some evidence to show that we Christians don't have a blind faith, but that our our faith is based on the trustworthy promises and prophecies of God, who always brings about. Uh, a fulfillment of his word for his words never go out and come back empty unto him and so brethren look at this here this morning the prophets as you think about the prophets their work was to keep alive in the minds of all of the people of israel the promise that god had made to israel that he was going to send a redeemer 430 years before the law ever even came into existence so you think about that for uh, for a moment We know that from the time of Mount Sinai to the time of Christ, was a period of, well, it actually wasn't to the time of Christ, from about 1900 to about 400 uh, B.C., it's about 1,500 years, and then there's that uh, 400 years of silence, right, before the Christ came. But we know, brethren, that for 1,500 years, prophet after prophet after prophet did what? They were reminding Israel about the promise, about the covenant that God had entered into with Abraham. And then we also know that he was, the, the prophets were going out and they were trying to get the people to turn back unto God. And so Moses, for example, he wrote about Jesus and Jesus even talks about it in John chapter 5 and verse 46. Jesus says, if you believed in Moses, you should believe in me because he wrote about me. He talks about in John 5 and 46. And then you can say, well, what what was he talking about? Well, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. And he promised to send a prophet like myself. And he was going to put his words into his mouth, and that we were to do all that was commanded of us. And so, brethren, we know that John 5 and 46, Deuteronomy 18 and 15, they coincide with one another. It shows prophecy, it shows fulfillment. And there's so many examples that we could give, but we're only going to look at a few of them here this morning. So you think about Moses, you think about the prophet Samuel, right? You think about all those who succeeded Samuel. You think about King David and Isaiah and Zechariah and all of the prophets, brethren. They spoke of the, uh, of the coming of the, of the Christ. They spoke of the coming of the promised one. And so, brethren, the promises that we receive and the prophecies that we receive from the prophets, they are uh, in such detail... That really, it's truly just mind-boggling. And the first one that I want us to look at here this morning is we're going to think about uh, detailed prophecies in regards to the birth of the Messiah. The birth of of Jesus Christ. And so, notice what it says in uh, in, um, uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And there's a couple things I want you to notice in this verse. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. And then it says, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. But as for you, it says Bethlehem, one will go from you. So it's talking about the birthplace of the Christ. And then I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew. Because as you get to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at a few different Gospels now. So you just stay in that section of Scripture. But as we get to Matthew chapter 2, and as you're turning there, and, and we think about Micah, I want you to remember that it's going to talk about the birthplace, but then in some of these other passages I'm going to show you, it's also going to show that how God is going to set forth from me a ruler unto Israel. And that his days were from long ago, even from eternity. So you're going to see three different aspects of Micah chapter 2 and these upcoming verses. And then you're going to see how God gives prophecy, and then you're going to see fulfillment. So in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, notice what the scriptures say. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what did Micah say? from it says from Bethlehem one was going to come who's going to be ruler of his people and so now it says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king Magi uh, uh, from the east arrived into Jerusalem saying where is he who is to be born king of the Jews for we have saw his star in the east and have come here to worship him When Herod the king had heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, He is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And who does he quote? He quotes Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and he says, And to you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers or the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So you look at Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It speaks of the birthplace. And then in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 through 6, not only does King Herod call the priests and calls the, uh, the, the, the wise men before him to find out uh, when and where this was to happen, they tell him it's going to happen in Bethlehem. So you see the prophetic word and you see its fulfillment but what about other things are there other things that we can look at and I want you to think about the manner of his birth was the manner of his birth a little different than most of us tend to be born well I would like to think it was being that he was born of a virgin I mean that's uh, that's different and so think about Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 for a moment therefore the Lord himself will do what he says it's going to give you a sign Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. You look at that simple verse, and now I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Because we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to bounce back to Matthew chapter 1. You're going to see the the prophecy, the prediction, but then you're also going to see the fulfillment. But you're also going to see a a multi-part fulfillment that also goes back to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Again, we're looking at all of this information so that as you have conversations with people that I'm willing to just, just kind of throw it out there. There's a lot of people who believe in Christ, but not a lot of people who know why they believe in Christ. Exactly. And so, brethren, I want you to be able to know that you could show them some of these simple things in Scripture that, 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 that the evidence, evidence is just overwhelming. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, know what it says, look what it says starting in verse 26 about the the virgin birth. Now in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation exactly was this. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you had found favor with God. And behold, you will receive into your womb uh, and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the most high, the the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And then the angel said to Mary, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God." And behold, she, uh, the angel says, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived in her old age, and she was called bar- she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And Mary said. Uh, Or he said, For nothing will be impossible with the Lord. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, again, you look at Micah chapter 5 a moment ago. It said that for one will go forth from me to be ruler over his people. Israel, his days will be from the time of eternity. And what did you hear that angel Gabriel had to say to to Mary, the mother of Jesus, before she even conceived? It says in verse 32 and 33, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his his, uh, father, David. And so again, you can see how there are multiple fulfillments of these things. Now look backwards to Matthew chapter 1. Because again, you continue to connect these dots. And as you continue to connect these dots, brethren, it it just goes to show people that we don't have a blind faith. I mean, even in there, when it talks about, he even gives the little uh, tidbit about Elizabeth, the relative. Why did he give that little tidbit of information? It really has nothing to do with what she's going to be going through. But he did so to say, you can trust my word. Go see her who is old and who has been called barren. She's now in her sixth month. But notice what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. 25. is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, means God with us. And that goes back to on the screen behind me, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. But notice it says that his name will be called Emmanuel. That's not what they're going to name the child, but he will be called Emmanuel because he is known to be God with us. Now think about that for a second because we also have another passage of scripture that we're going to look at before I close this down. And that's in Isaiah chapter 9 on the screen behind me in verse 6. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Brethren, don't let it be lost on you that the very next passage on the screen behind me is John chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. What did it say going back to I said about Micah in uh, chapter 5 and verse 2? At the end of Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2, it says his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So do you see how just in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, there's three different aspects of fulfillment that you can look at from Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and then also now as we get over here to John chapter 1. And you can see, brethren, that all of these things have come to pass. God had said, he had prophesied what was going to happen, and then it comes to pass. So you look at John 1 and 1 behind me, which is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Well, what else do you see? In that same chapter, in verse 14 and 15, it says, And the Word, who is God, with God and is God, became flesh. The word became flesh, it dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he who had, now pay attention to verse 15 here. John testified about Jesus and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Well, why do I point that out? Because when you go back and you look at uh, Matthew, or actually uh, Luke chapter 1, in verse 36, we see there it says, And behold, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, she's conceived a son in her, in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So when you get to John chapter 1, it's the Apostle John recording the gospel. He's talking about John the Baptist. Who was, uh, who was Elizabeth's son from Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he was born six months before Jesus. But yet, it says right here that John testified about Jesus. He cried out saying, this was he whom I said, he comes after me, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Amen. You guys catching all the dots? Yep. You guys putting the puzzle together? Brethren, anybody here going to be having some holiday parties? I'm pretty sure most of us are or going to be attending some. You can have these conversations. And you can have these conversations because, well, guess what? This is one of the times a year that people are willing to talk about Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. Take advantage of the opportunity. Do you think that as a whole society is becoming more and more um, hostile towards Christianity right now? In our present society, in our current uh, culture, in our current world? And the answer to that is yes. So take advantage of every opportunity that you have when somebody may be more open to the idea of talking about Jesus and then share with them some of this information that I would venture to say that most Christians probably don't know that. I'm not, when I say Christian, I'm using it in the general sense of the word, uh, you know, in christian dumb, and not necessarily in the Lord's Church, but we probably have some new Christians that maybe are hearing this for the first time because they are new to the faith, and they haven't connected the dots. They haven't studied the prophetic, uh, uh, messianic prophecies. And so, brethren, as I get ready to close this down, The prophets not only foretold of Jesus coming, but they also spoke about many of the details of his life uh, so there could be no doubt. Like I said, we don't have a blind faith. God throughout time has always made promises and fulfilled promises, gave prophecy and showed the fulfillment of prophecy in such great detail that people, it just blows their mind. With my Daniel class, that's now switched from Wednesday to Sunday morning, as we were talking about, as we were finishing up chapter 4 this morning, and I I was kind of given a preview to chapter 5 as we're going to look at Belshazzar. Well, Belshazzar, the king, he's the second king, and he, and he, he offers Daniel, if he can interpret the dream, to become the third king, or the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, to most people, that really uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, what do you mean the third ruler in the kingdom? Well, what I share with you on next Sunday morning is going to fill in those blanks. Because you're going to find out that people thought Daniel got it wrong because they said that uh, Herodias, uh, one of the historians, he never mentions uh, Belshazzar. There's nothing that was recorded about him in history. So they thought Daniel made a mistake. It wasn't until modern times through archaeological digs that they have now found the evidence that Daniel had it right all along and that those other historians had it wrong. What's the point? It gives, it gives credibility to the reliability of the scriptures. Why, was, why, why are we looking at the promises and the prophecies and the fulfillment to show the reliability of the scriptures? Because Jesus, the things that he's fulfilling, were prophesied 700 years before he became, uh, before he was the Christ. Before he was born. And yet it was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. It was prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And many, many other things. I want to say that there's a little over 60 major prophecies, messianic prophecies. I've only given you two of them for time's sake. And so brethren, you look at all of this information with the hopes that you will share it with your friends and your family members and your coworkers as you're hopefully having some conversations about this holiday we call Christmas that we celebrate not as a religious holiday, but we celebrate it in the Lord's Church as a cultural holiday. And so brethren, remember that we don't celebrate it as a religious holiday, we celebrate it as a cultural holiday. But use it as an opportunity to talk about the spiritual and so, brethren, we spoke today about Jesus' birth as we stroll down Memories Lane. Use this as an opportunity to help those that you come in contact with. But be, I just wanted to say that this is one of the two times, as I've said earlier, that, that people are going to be willing to talk about these things. And so don't, be, don't shy away from these conversations because Jesus, being deity, being the, being. God manifest himself in the flesh he came into the world to do what to reveal himself more fully to man yeah. to reveal himself more fully to his creation Jesus being deity came into world to serve as an example as a perfect example for man he came into this world uh, to deliver man from the curse of sin Jesus came into this world uh, in order to become the perfect priest. For his creation, Jesus came into the world to conquer death and to give man an assurance of immortality. Brethren, there's many other examples or many other reasons that we could give for why Jesus came in to the world. But these are sufficient to prove the point of who Jesus is and the promises and the prophecies that he fulfilled. So, brethren, I'm going to close it down. Because God's promises are dependable and certain, we could also talk to people about, with confidence... Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 that talks about that there's a day of judgment that's going to be coming. We could talk to them about these types of things, that there's a day of judgment coming, that we will all stand before God and give an account, but then we can also talk to them about what we learned in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, that there is going to be a reward for the faithful. And that if you remain faithful unto the Lord, you can expect to receive the crown of life. So, brethren, there is a judgment coming, but there is also reward coming for all who remain faithful unto God. Yes. Brethren, I'm gonna, as I shut this down, if you have any more questions about other prophecies, get with me. We can study it out. We can answer those questions over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to give you more information that you can share with family and friends about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about various prophecies that He had uh, he had fulfilled. And so, brethren, it has been said by statisticians, if any one man fulfilled all of the prophecies that had been spoken about Jesus, if, if any one person was able to fulfill all of those prophecies, it would be like 1 to the 27th power. They say it would be statistically impossible. And yet we know that with God, nothing is impossible. So if you're hearing this lesson today... Brethren, and you have questions, please get with me afterwards. But maybe you're hearing this lesson today. Maybe you've come to worship with the mindset that, you know, I've been, I've been reading the scriptures. I've been studying with somebody. I've, been, I've had my answers questioned. And I want to put on Jesus. I want to put on Christ in baptism this morning. Well, brethren, you could do that. You can come forward, you can put on Christ in baptism, your sins will be washed away, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and what else? We know that God himself will add you to the kingdom. If that's your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.